Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Clones, welcome to the Daily Jungle. What a Thursday we've had. And not just because I opened up the show with yet another Blake Bortles and Jacksonville Jaguar take. Or because Lou Williams knocked down a garbage time three ball from 30 feet out to drop 50 on the Warriors on the same night that Kevin Durant went for 20,000 points. And not because John in San Diego called in and decided that this weekend he is getting Jungle Inc. And if that wasn't a bad enough idea, he asked you clones for some tattoo ideas. We had all those things and some big guests. We were talking hockey with James Neal of the Vegas Golden Knights. We had C.J. McCollum of the Portland Trail Blazers and our first ever satellite TV interview with Hall of Famer Terrell Davis. That's why today was awesome. We had all of that, and we need to get to it right now, Alvy. This is the Jim Rome Show, but I'm not looking to make it about me, ever. That's not what I'm about. It's not who I am. This is not how I roll. But every so often, I do need to point something out. And the thing that I need to point out is that back in August, you might remember, I set the freaking world on its ear when I started this show with a Jacksonville Jaguar take. Remember that. Do you remember me doing that? Do you remember what the reaction was when I did that? Do you remember everybody seeing how whack I was, how crazy that was? That there's no way that I would ever do it again. That's Del Harris. That's whack. It was whack. Or so you thought. Because not only did I do it then, I did it again. I let off two shows in three days with Jaguar Takes. And then I went back again and I did the most unreal thing ever. Three Jag Takes in five days. Now look, I don't say this to take credit for what the Jaguars have done this season. I mean, far from it. But I did the impossible then, and I'm going to do it again right now by leading yet another show with a Jags take. And this time, I'm doing it on both radio and TV. Not because I'm trying to prove something, but because they have proven something. And, of course, because Blake Bortles is back in the news. Because, of course, he is. And not for anything that he's done, but for things that other people are saying. As an example, Titan safety, Kevin Byard. <laughs> Kevin Byard said, quote, they're trying to make Tom Brady look like Blake Bortles, if I can, to try to catch a couple of picks. This is what this guy said about Blake Bortles. I mean, Blake had to be sitting there like, what the hell? I'm sitting here minding my own business getting ready to face the Steelers and somebody in a different game who is playing a different quarterback is roasting me. (laughs) Me. But then again, Blake has got to be used to it because Blake has been getting roasted all year long. In fact, Blake has been getting smashed pretty much ever since he stepped into the NFL. He's been the entire world's speed bag, and that has not changed. Even though he's got his team two wins from the Super Bowl, he knows it. He even gets it. Yeah, it'll probably never stop, man. There's people that think LeBron James sucks. So if that happens, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people that always think I suck. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Is that rich? Is that ever rich? I love that. I love that for so many reasons. I love it for so many reasons, starting with the fact that I figured I'd work my entire career and never once mentioned Blake Bortles 
and LeBron James in the same sentence. But that's why this job is so awesome. It's because the unexpected always happens. Now, now, if you're waiting for me to come in here and pile on and kill Blake Bortles for comparing himself to LeBron James, then you're going to keep on waiting. If you're looking for me to say, hey, Blake, you can't compare yourself to LeBron James. You're barely Kyle Singler. You're going to be waiting on that, too. I'm not going to mention even the fact that he was benched for Chad Henney at one point and that LeBron was never benched for Cole Aldridge. I'm not doing that. I'm not even going to bench the salt. Bench I wouldn't even do salt. that. And here's why I'm not going to do that. A couple of reasons, actually. He's not really comparing himself to LeBron. He's actually making a very good point. He's making the point that if somebody as great as LeBron is told that he sucks, then Blake will always be told that he sucks. In other words, if arguably the best to ever do it is told he sucks, where does that leave one of the worst to ever do it? And secondly, even if he was comparing himself to LeBron, I wouldn't have a problem with that either because how can you not respect, if not love, this guy's confidence? You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of this guy that I know who came off the golf course with another guy that I know. So I said to the first guy, hey man, how'd that go? How'd that go? What did you think about my dude? And his response to me, and I quote was, and I quote, I have never seen a dude that ugly with that much confidence, end quote. I mean, I thought that was like a line for the ages. A line for the ages, and I still think it is right now. But it kind of reminds me of Blake Bortles. Not in how he looks, obviously, because personal appearances not show fodder, but rather in how he plays. Not very well, but this guy's walking around like he's Joe Montana. So how can you not love the confidence of a guy coming off one of the all-time worst postseason performances by a quarterback and yet he's referencing one of the greatest ever to lace him up. That's what you want in a quarterback. You might not want Blake Bortles as your quarterback, but you want Blake Bortles' attitude and approach and swagger in a quarterback. And this guy's right, by the way. He's right. He could win the Super Bowl, be named Super Bowl MVP, and he would still get annihilated. The only thing that would change is that he would replace Trent Dilfer in that tired argument about whether you need an elite quarterback to win a Super Bowl that always ends with, but Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl. The other thing that Bortles has that all the great ones have is self-awareness. He knows he couldn't even complete a screen pass in that win over Buffalo. He knows that playing like that is going to get them hammered in Pittsburgh, just as he knows the best chance they have of beating the Steelers is for him to turn and hand the ball to Leonard Fournette like 70 times. Hopefully we can throw less. You know, that'd be awesome. Leonard goes off again, and those guys up front, you know, play as well as they did last time. Um, and, and, you know, we can run the ball up there and you not have to throw it all. I mean, how do you not love this guy? He just said it. Hopefully we can throw less. How can you not get with a quarterback who says, for us to win, they need to take the ball out of my hands. The last thing any of us in this locker room wants is for me to throw the football. Hey, trust me, there's not a single person in this organization who trusts me or my decision-making or my accuracy with the ball. 
You don't need to tell me. The last thing I ever want to do is spin the rock. I mean, so how about y'all just take a break from kicking this guy and just appreciate the fact that he's one of a kind? Is he great? No. But his attitude is, and the fact that he knows that for them to win, he needs to stay the hell out of everybody else's way, means they might actually pull a miracle in Pittsburgh again. You know, just like I did by starting yet another show with a Jags take. Difference is, I'm going against the grain. I'm the one guy who has Blake Bortles back. The one guy not saying, keep LeBron's name out your mouth. Hey, Blake, you got this. You got this. Just keep doing you and do whatever the hell you want, except throw it. Don't do that. Don't ever do that. Blake Bortles, I'm telling you, man, I love this guy all of a sudden. I love his attitude. He gets it. He gets it. 1-800. And by the way, I get it. I just did it again. I started another nationally syndicated radio program smack dab in the middle of Los Angeles with a Jags take. That's six for me. People that think LeBron James sucks. So, if- Right? Terrell Davis is my guest. Terrell, it's good to have you on. How are you? Jim, how you doing, man? Good to be here, brother. Good, good. It's good to have you. TD, I hate to start off with a painful subject, but you did play at Georgia. <laughs> So I got to ask, a few days out after that national championship game, has the pain worn off or does that still sting a bit? Uh, It has not worn off yet. It it still stings. I'm still a little sick by the outcome. You know, but I had a a chance to reflect. And I thought that this year for the Bulldogs, man, it was a beautiful year. They played hard. They put themselves in the national spotlight. Uh, Had a chance to see them in California for the first time uh, in my lifetime. So... You know what? In retrospect, it was an outstanding year, but I really wish they were able to close that deal because it's not guaranteed they'll be there next year. But Kirby Smart has that team on a great trajectory, and I think next year um, they'll be back in the conversation and fighting. But, uh, man, you sure wish that they took advantage of this opportunity. Clones, can you give me just one second so I can talk to you about something very important to me? Stamps.com. Now, here's a New Year's resolution that you can actually keep. Add Stamps.com to your business and save a ton of time and money this year. Now, I'm going to be very honest with you. I don't need that resolution this year because I've already done it, and I wish I had done it sooner. Stamps.com has saved me so much time and so much money. You see, Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer. Stamps.com is the better way to get postage. You simply use your computer to print U.S. postage for any letter or package, any class of mail and you let the mailman pick it up. You don't leave your office. There's no more lugging mail to the post office. There is no more hassle. So stamps.com saves you time and money. Almost everything you can do at the post office, you can do right from your desk. Stamps.com. Convenient, easy, reliable, efficient. And those are all the reasons why I use stamps.com. And right now, you too can enjoy the stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale. Are you ready for a happier new year? Then go to stamps.com. Hit the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in jungle. That's stamps.com. Enter jungle. Once again, to take advantage of this great offer, stamps.com. Enter jungle. That's stamps.com. Now it's back to our daily jungle. Terrell Davis joining us. You know, that's such a great point. TD, I was going to ask you that very thing that, I mean, is it all gravy and is the silver lining that they're ahead of schedule? But, I mean, as a great pro athlete, you know this. Nothing's guaranteed, right? Nothing's promised. You don't know. I mean, it looks like it's setting up like they'll be back, but you never really know, do you? 
You don't know. And that's the thing about it is, you know, you have to take advantage when you see it. And I know a lot of people say, well, listen, Georgia, you know, preseason rankings, they weren't even supposed to be in this in this game. So it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a bonus. And my, my response is, yeah, but we, you know, we can't place them back there um, uh, again next year because you've got to go back to the bottom of that mountain and make that climb again. And it's difficult to make that climb. And now every team in the country knows that Georgia is for real. They're going to have to play playoff games basically every single week. And they're in the SEC is always, is always a, a tough conference in itself. So there's no guarantee they'll be there, man. But I do like uh, the fact that I think they're getting better. Their, their recruiting class is one of the tops in the, in the nation. So it seems to be that they should be back, but there is no guarantee. We're talking to Hall of Famer Terrell Davis. You know, take your Georgia hat off for one moment. As an athlete who did compete on the highest stage, what do you make of what you saw from Tua? I mean, we're talking about a true freshman who had never really been in a pressure situation before. What do you make of him showing up the way he did in the second half on the biggest stage of all? I was I was mad when Saban put him in yeah. because I said, wait a minute. Um, <laughs> if Saban is going to the backup quarterback, he feels confident that this young man is bringing something to the table that's unique. And Georgia didn't prepare for that. So when he came in, you know, he, it started off a little rough for him. And I thought, okay, he's a, he's a freshman quarterback. He's going to throw some picks. He's going to make some mistakes. We got a chance. But as I saw him play, what I realized was that he was a superior athlete. I mean, the guy was making plays with his feet, and then that playmaking with his feet led to his arm coming alive, and then really his game was going both ways. He can throw it. He was able to run. He galvanized that team, gave him some energy, and you have to commend him. I mean, he didn't crack. He made some mistakes, but he bounced back. He was unflappable. And, um, you know, again, man, I was impressed with his performance. Hall of Famer Terrell Davis joining us on the program. So now we're two days away from the divisional round of the playoffs, and you went for more than 100 yards from scrimmage in every single playoff game that you played. You averaged more than five and a half yards per carry in the postseason, and you see this, right? The very best somehow seem to dial it up when the stakes are the highest on the biggest stage. It's the very definition of clutch. Were you able to do so? Could you dial it up when it mattered most? And if so, how did you do that? Well, for me, Jim, I think it was really just not not trying to dial things up. Hmm. Um, the one thing that I was able to do when games were big and, and the big moments was just remind myself that I played, I played the same game every week. I don't try to have a different effort level for a playoff game versus a regular season game, a preseason game. I've just always have I've been taught, and I just function uh, as if when I'm on a football field, there's only one speed that I go at. So I was comfortable when the games were big because it was like, all right, I've been here before, the same pregame routine, the same preparation, the same study habits. And I was able to go into these games and just stick with that as a reminder. And, and the results were what they were. But I was, that was really it. Um, you know, of course, I enjoyed the competition. I enjoyed uh, when it mattered most and, and just feeling, feeling comfortable in those situations. I think that's, that's the thing about it. If you're prepared for it, you're going to be comfortable and you're not going to try to overthink it or try to overplay it. And typically, the results should come out favorably. Preparation does breed confidence, right? Now, you've got another fellow Georgia running back in Todd Gurley. And while he wasn't as dominant against the Falcons as maybe he would have liked, what do you make of the season that he had overall? And how much do you like watching him play? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, watch following Todd Gurley at Georgia. You know, you knew he would be a, a, a pretty good pro. And I think the, the impressive thing is, you know, coming off the year he had last year and then sort of turning things around and, and looking at his game. And his game is all over. I mean, in terms of, you know, he can run between the tackles. He can go outside. He's got that uh, long stride. He's got that sprinter uh, top-end speed. Uh, he's physical running back. He can catch. So Todd's game has is, is always been there. He was like that at Georgia. Now uh, seeing something where, you know, where Sean McVay has a chance to use him and really use him the way he was supposed to be used and just showing people that, hey, this is, this is Todd Gurley, the one that we know we, and we've seen two years ago. He's, I mean, this year I'm sure he's going to be the, the MVP of the year. He should be. His numbers uh, speak to that. Um, the way they use him in that offense and the way he's been dominant, he's going to be the MVP, and I'm, I'm proud of him. And what he's doing now, he's really setting the stage for these other running backs. You know, Zeke Elliott did the same thing. When these backs perform well, now teams aren't going to be too shy to go up to get a running back uh, in the top 10. They're now saying, hey, you know what, we're not afraid to have a running back as, uh, you know, a bell cow and go up there and pick the guy high in the draft because we need him, and he's a very important part of our offense. In other words, that position is not been marginalized. Terrell, i got to ask you, I mean, if somebody who's in the Hall of Fame and who played the game at the highest level, who's a physical specimen, one more Georgia back. When I see Herschel Walker the way I saw him that night, man, this guy is incredible yeah. to me. I mean, Herschel, 50-something, still looking like that. He looks like he could play right now. I mean, is that the 50,000 push-ups and sit-ups he does every single day? Was he <laughs> genetically wired for it? What is with this guy, and does he even age? It, it, yeah, the, the, the push-ups and the sit-ups and all that stuff that he says. <laughs> right. uh, he said a long time ago he was doing was like 500 push-ups a day and 1,000 sit-ups. And he's highly – don't forget this, Jim. The man is highly competitive. Right. We played in a flag football game one time with Herschel. And it was Herschel and Jerry Rice and, some, and myself and some other, uh, other stars there. And Herschel does – he knows one speed. You know, everybody else is trying to go like, you know, half speed. We're just, you know, out there having a good time. And Herschel is going a million miles a minute. And this guy is just, he just knows one speed. And he's playing the game as if he's playing a regular, regular game. So it doesn't shock me that he's in such great shape. He's highly competitive. Um, but, yeah, he does look like he can play uh, for any team right now. History was made in Oakland last night when Kevin Durant came into last night's game needing only 25 points to reach 20,000 points, and he got it pretty early, knocking in a jumper at the 141 mark of the second quarter. Draymond Green with the rebound. Got it over to Kevin Durant, down the right side. KD for 20,000. Got it on the left wing. He becomes the fifth player in NBA history to get to 20,000 points under the age of 30. And what an elite group it is. LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Wilt Chamberlain, and Michael Jordan. Warriors Radio with that call. So that's a great moment and a tremendous accomplishment by one of the all-time great players. And when you run the numbers on some of that and what that means, it's even more impressive. He joins Wilt, MJ, Kobe, LeBron as the only guys in history to reach 20,000 points before their 30th birthday. He's second only to LeBron as the youngest to join that club. And even after that game, as I mentioned, there was some talk about whether or not he might actually run down Kareem. However, that shot that he made to join the 20K club, great as it was, was not the greatest shot of the night. Not the greatest moment of the night. Believe it or not, the greatest shot of the night was this. Lou Williams with 47 points. 
36 in the second half. He'll fire the deep three. It's in the air, and it's gone. 50 for Lou Williams. And that, my friends, is the candles on the cake. Wow. Clippers Radio. Let's be real clear about that. I mean, Steve Kerr's like, Wait, did he just do that? Did, did that just happen? That's Lou Williams from 30 feet. And that was nothing but net. And it was nothing but awesome. I mean, let me just go ahead and count the ways. Number one, they were already up 16 with under a minute to go against a Golden State team that was without Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. In effect, that game was over. In effect, these two teams hate each other. And everybody's standing around waiting for the clock to run out so they can get back to the locker room and get out of the building. Well, everybody except Lou Williams, who was sitting on a career-high 47, and you know he knew it, which is why he let it fly. Because 47 points isn't cool. But you know what is cool? 50. And him draining that from the Oracle logo was the greatest thing that I have seen in the NBA since Ricky Davis in the final seconds of a blowout intentionally lobbed the ball off the backboard of the wrong hoop and grabbed it himself in an attempt to get the final rebound that he needed for a triple-double. To me, the greatest moment in NBA history. Nothing like that. Except that Davis did not get credit for the rebound and didn't get a triple-double, but Williams got his triple and his 50. And he completely ripped the headlines from Kevin Durant. Well, like, oh yeah, you scored your 20,000th career point and did it by the age of 30? That's cool. That's nice. Lou Williams dropped 50. And he got him on a rub it in your face, how you like me now, half a hundred that had him crashing and wrecking KD's party. And even funnier, and I got to say, that's really funny. Even funnier is the fact that the Warriors seemed to think that was pretty funny. They didn't seem to care at all. You normally pull a stunt like that, the kind of stunt that Williams pulled, And that's going to infuriate the opposing team. You go into their building, you show them up like that by going for a personal record, and you're going to get a fist in the face or an elbow to the dome. But not last night. As I mentioned, Steve Kerr literally was laughing on the bench. He was laughing on the bench and then talked about it openly after the game. Clippers were, they came in here probably insulted that, uh, you know, we were resting Clay, and and obviously Steph goes down, and so the... uh, the game changes, and uh, and they came in and just kicked our ass. <laughs> Truth. Although it wasn't the Clippers who kicked the Warriors' ass, it was Williams who caught fire with a 27-point third quarter. 27 in one quarter. Durant said afterwards, quote, he ordered 50-piece nuggets on us tonight. I love that quote. He most certainly did. I mean, he rolled into the Warriors' drive through He dropped 27 on them in the third, saw that he had a chance for 50, and then he ordered that up with plenty of sauce. So you know what's even funnier? And the biggest insult of all of the Clippers? The Warriors just lost to them by 19 in their own house and couldn't care less. They got run out of their own building by a Clippers team that was missing Blake Griffin. And had a starting lineup that included Jawan Evans and C.J. Williams. And the Warriors are still there clowning on the bench. Like, they don't care at all. I mean, you know they're not happy about their effort. I'm not saying they don't care about that. They're not happy about their effort. They're not happy about their result. 
But back when everybody thought this might be a rivalry, losing by double digits and then watching somebody chuck garbage time threes would have been a reason to go. Last night it was a reason to laugh. That's how little the Warriors care about their alleged rivals, the Clips. That's how little they respect the Clips. Dude drops a three on them at the buzzer in a blowout, and Golden State thinks it's hilarious. (laughs) That's funny to me. That's how little they respect the Clippers. They don't even care. CJ McCollum is my guest. CJ, Happy New Year. Good to have you back. How are you? I'm good, man. How you doing? Good. You too. Good, man. Great to have you back. I'm so good. So you dropped a tough one in Houston last night. It was the second game of a back-to-back. That was after you won three straight, including wins over OKC in San Antonio. So what I'm getting at is it's a long season. Are you able to shake off last night pretty quickly and get ready for tomorrow night? Or do losses sting with you no matter how and when they happen? No, I mean, it definitely hurt, especially close games. You feel like you should have won. You kind of review the game in your head, you know, different possessions and things you could have done better. But like you said before, it's such a long season. You can't hang your head too long because you always have a game within, I'd say, 24 to 36 hours. So got to be ready to turn the corner. Now, late in last night's game, when it appeared to be decided and Houston could have just simply dribbled out the clock, Chris Paul went in for a layup. It seemed like Damian Lillard was less than pleased with that. In your opinion, did Paul violate an unwritten rule in that situation? And is that something you would have done? I mean, it's tough. I mean, you look at how the game was going. I think we just scored on a possession before that, and then we fouled. Maybe they thought that we were going to foul him again, want to get a quick two points. I'm not sure what the thought process was there, but uh, like, I mean, it's the NBA. There is an unwritten rule, but uh, growing up, you play till you play till the zero. So if you don't want somebody to score, I mean, I guess we should have fouled him. I should have chased him down and fouled him before he laid it up, but. Uh, it's it's a tough one. It's a tough one. When it, when it happens against you, you never like it. You put it like that. So it's just one of those things, and you keep moving, or maybe maybe is that going to be in the back of your mind? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's you, you use whatever you can to to motivate yourself. Obviously, we're all driven from within, but if if that's what it takes for somebody to get up for another game, then you can try to use that as our as a bench. But we got we got to do a better job of taking care of games and winning, so that we're not in that position. CJ McCollum joining us. All right, so go back to Tuesday night. You led all scorers in the win over OKC. You had 27 that night, including 15 on 7 of 9 in the third quarter. So when you're in the zone like that and you get on a roll like that, what's that feel like? Is there a sense that nobody who's in front of you can stop you? Yeah, it's it's definitely a feeling to where you feel like, regardless if you get space or separation and not the ball's going in, I think – our staff did a good job of, of putting me in a position to succeed. Guys were setting screens for me, allowing me to get open. And then once uh, I got a couple to fall, um, it, it was it was all downhill from there. It was it was a pretty good game for us, and one that we were we were able to to steal one on the road without Dame and uh, pull away pretty comfortably before we headed into that Houston game last night. You know, you mentioned without Dame, you've won three of your last four, you've won four of six, and this is coming during a stretch where he's missed a number of games. So overall, where do you think the team is at this point of the season? Do you feel like this team has started to find its identity? And if so, what is it? Yeah, I feel like we're heading in the right direction. You know, early on in the season, we were defending extremely well, you know, top five in the NBA, but offensively, we're in the bottom half, uh, not very efficient, not getting a lot of assists, not getting any transition baskets. So I think we're heading in the right direction, having scored over 110 points the last five games. 
Uh, we're still defending at a top five mark, and now we're, we're improving offensively, getting more assists, and having a more fluent offense. Um, I think uh, halfway through the season, considering how we've played, you, you got to be happy that we're in the fifth spot. Blazers guard C.J. McCollum joining us once again. Now, you were on the cover of Slam Magazine earlier this season, and for that piece, Kobe said the following. Let me read you this quote. C.J. never seemed to view himself the way the basketball market viewed him. He always felt like he was better than what people viewed him to be. Because of that, I think he's always played with a chip on his shoulder. He's always worked harder than everyone else to prove what he believed his value was. End quote. So, in your opinion, is that how it was? And then, what's it mean to hear that from a guy like Kobe? I mean, I think that's very accurate. Um, I've always been under the radar. I've always had, you know, people say I wasn't capable of doing certain things. Or he's undersized. He went to a small school. He can't consistently perform at this level. Or he's injury prone. You know, and they try to put you in this box. And for myself, I wanted to paint the picture. I wanted to be Picasso. I wanted to show everybody what I was and who I was. And I knew that with hard work. It would be undeniable. I knew that, you know, at some point I would get a chance to play. At some point I would be healthy. And when I was, I was never going to look back. I was going to, I was going to turn the page on everything people said about me and rewrite the next chapter. I think I did just that. And, you know, recognition like that, recognition like that from, from a guy like Kobe Bryant, who's arguably you know, the best two guards to ever played the game, Hall of Fame, a little bit of two jerseys retired, and someone I looked up to my entire life. I'm thankful for his recognition and for him. You know, seeing that in me because I've worked extremely hard and I've, I'm continuing to strive for, for greatness and continuing to try to put myself in a position where I can be one of the best players to ever play. Right, and now you've got the fruits of the labor. As an example, I had former Oklahoma offensive tackle Orlando Brown who's entering the NFL draft on the show yesterday. We were talking about fashion. You're no stranger to fashion either. In fact, you've got a partnership with Banana Republic. How did that come about and then how would you describe your approach to fashion? <laughs> Yeah, my agency did a good job of you know, reaching out uh, to Banana, and they expressed interest in me. And uh, we kind of took off from there, doing different photo shoots in the summertime in New York City. You know, trying out different things, and um, I'm happy with the partnership and the relationship we have, and looking forward to continuing to build. And for me, I would say that my fashion it changes, it evolves. A lot of times, you know, I'm, I'm in you know trench coat worthy worthy gear because of the weather in Oregon you know, overcoats and things of that nature because it's a little on the colder side. I love hoodies. I love dark colors. I love a gray olive green. And I try to mix it up from street style to suits to, uh, you know, dressy, dressy, casual um, sweats. And plus, I got to think, it's it's partly geographical, right? You got to represent the Northwest, Pacific Northwest. Exactly. I get that. Exactly. That's huge. The Northwest swag, man. We wear a lot of hoodies, a lot of coats, uh, boots. Um, dark jeans, things of that nature to where, you know, we, we try to show that we, we come from a cold place. Got to represent. Listen, there's no way I'm going to talk to you and not ask you about your bro, Eric, who's tearing it up in Turkey right now. How pumped are you to see the season that he's having? Well, I'm very happy for him. You know, we put a lot of work in over, over the years and we follow each other. We're still best friends to this day and continue to encourage each other. And, you know, with him leading, he's a leading vote getter right now for the All-Star game in Turkey. Uh, he's doing a great job of leading his team in the Euro League. He's been battling some injuries, but uh, playing extremely well. And uh, I'm looking forward to to getting out to Europe again to, to visit him this summer. Hey, listen, I respect that. I respect the time he's put in, and I respect the time that you have put in the two of you together. Can American fans vote for him to make that All Star team? It sounds like he's doing great if he's the leading vote getter right now. But can American fans vote? Yes, American fans can vote. I'll post something on Twitter today. There's some links uh, if you follow the 
basketball league or if you follow the, the Euro League, uh, any of their handles on Twitter or Instagram, they give you specific directions with a link you can click on. But I'll also tweet something out again today. You can, you can vote. I'm not sure when the voting ends, but he is uh, the lead leader right now, the lead leader. All right, so in other words, it's all good. Well, except it's not all good because you're a Cleveland Browns fan. So, CJ, I got to ask, how would you describe this season and life in general as a Browns fan? This season was uh, a roller coaster ride, but it was just more so going uphill the entire time and never having that, the climax of going downhill. And as a, as a Browns fan, Sundays are hard for us. You know, I always joke and say that you know, the bye week and draft day are the, are the best parts of the season for us, as well as when the season ends because we never we never seem to be able to get things done. But I think we're heading in the right direction. We got some great draft picks. Um, we have Josh Gordon back, and I'm uh, looking forward to a new season. It doesn't get any worse than this past season. And uh, I know that in my heart, deep down, we will make the playoffs before I die. How do you know that? Because, because the football gods will not allow me to go through life without seeing my brown. <laughs> In the playoffs in my adulthood. You know, this this gets me to my next point. I mean, you're obviously very upbeat, very positive. Somebody who's always looking at the glasses being half full. So how do you maintain that optimism when it comes to the Browns, when they keep doing the wrong things and breaking your heart? I mean, I just feel like when you're loyal to something for so long, it has to turn around. You know, we have to turn the page and turn the corner at some point. Uh, we've missed a few times in the draft, and we've had some injuries in the draft, but... I feel like it's only a matter of time before before we get we get our Jimmy Garoppolo or we get our Deshaun Watson or we get our you know our Adrian Peterson. Like it's only a matter of time before we hit the jackpot, and I think it's coming now in this in this upcoming draft. Yeah, CJ, do you have an opinion in the upcoming draft? You've got three or four guys who might be possibly franchise quarterbacks. Have you paid close attention to it? And if it were up to you, which quarterback would you take? I think we have to really be smart about this this quarterback situation because it's hit or miss in every draft. And you can get lucky and get the right one, or you can pick early and get the wrong one. So we have to really be critical of this. I've, I've heard that you know there's some interest in uh, the Redskins quarterback, a mutual interest, and uh, he's potentially going to be a free agent. So we could trade down, leverage that pick, and then get a get a quarterback who's already proven himself in the league, and take a running back. You know. The, the kid from Penn State is very good. There's a lot of other players out there that, that can change our franchise. So I just hope that we make the right decision. And once again, that's why the people in the front office get paid the big bucks and I get paid to watch. Yeah, but you handled that pretty well now. Penn State guy you're talking about is Saquon Barkley, Kirk Cousins from D.C. CJ, one thing, you mentioned Josh Gordon. Game recognizes game. And I love talking to guys about their thoughts about guys in other sports. Josh Gordon has certainly had his problems off the field. It seems like he's done the hard work on himself. He's trying to turn things around. But, man, what an absolutely freaky athlete. Can you imagine the time that he missed? And for him to step right on the field and play the way he did, as a fan and even as a fellow pro athlete, what do you make when you see him on the field doing what he does? Man, he's special. He's special, and uh, to to be able to overcome some of the things he has in the past, and you know, right, right his wrongs, and get back on the right track. I'm I'm happy for him, and I think the the sport needs to see that, needs to see someone get a second chance to overcome, you know, different obstacles. But you talk about an athlete, a physical specimen who's able to you know take multiple years off, still train, still work on his body, still stay in shape, still run, you know, a four three forty, and and uh, be a be a NFL player. Through, through the ups and downs of this entire process and to come back and have an impact just shows you the type of 
the type of skills he has and first and foremost and the type of blessings God has given him. So I just hope that he continues to take advantage of it, stays on the right track, and helps take my Browns to the promised land. CJ McCollum, my guest. Listen, one last thought. Didn't mean to keep you this long, but when you talk about an athlete and a specimen and a guy who's different, you look at LeBron and you look at the what, what he's doing at this age and the level he's playing at and the kind of miles he has on him because he started so early, got into the NBA at an early age, has played so many games in the postseason. I mean, to you, if you do what he does and you take care of your body – is that the new normal, or is that never going to be normal, and is he just a different freak of nature altogether? No, nah, he's definitely a freak of nature. There's nothing normal about, you know, 15 years of greatness, you know, being under the microscope so much, uh, eight straight finals, playing arguably the best basketball of your career 15 years in. Um, there, there's nothing There's nothing like this. I think he, he's uh, the exception to the rule. He's, he's done a great job of taking care of his body, obviously. You know, very peculiar particular about what he's eating what he's putting into his body I, I know the red wine is a remedy i've been using for three or four years now so I'm, I'm glad to see that you know he's he's enjoyed his wine and says that this is the best basketball he's playing but i think that just the, the steps he's made in his game he came in wanting to become a better jump shooter shoot 40 percent from three he came in wanting to win a championship he's done that he came in wanted to lead the league in assists he's been close to doing that and to see the strides he's made as a kid from canton ohio it, it's it's inspirational because I know what he's come from, and I know what I've come from, and to see him be at the top of his game for this long is, is special. My man, I keep trying to let you go, and you keep saying interesting things. All right, so one last bonus, the red wine thing. You're happy to see him with the red wine thing. What's your process with the red wine? Is it one glass a night? How much do you have and when? What's the process? <laughs> I usually I try to get a glass like probably every other night, every every couple of nights. So big win, I, I'm, I'm getting the glass out the cellar, or I'm cracking open the bottle. My girl's in town. We're definitely cracking open the bottle. Uh, we're in Oregon, so you know there's some great Pinots out there. I know Coach Pop invests in the A to Z, so I have about 20 A to Z uh, wine bottles in my cellar, and I'll continue to stack it up. But uh, my cousin's fiance actually works at a at a winery in the in the Bay Area, so she's been helping me out, sending me different bottles, and then you know just different people have been gifting me, you know, varieties of reds. And I got to credit my girlfriend because she put me on when I was in college, and it's changed my life. See, that's it. That's what I was gonna say. Like, like I we were married in Napa. Like, I want to be a wine guy so badly, but I know nothing about it, and I'm not that guy. And I was gonna say to you, how did you get the bug? But you're saying it's your girl. She turned you on to it in college. Yeah, you know, I was drinking the other stuff, and I started tasting that, and I was like, wow, this is life changing. You know, it's a it's a, a nice chill buzz you're able to you know still function you're able to still recover at a rapid rate and what they say is you know one glass a day is good for the heart as long as you're drinking it in moderation so uh, it's it's something that i've uh, I've adjusted to and i think as you get older you acquire the taste because at first it was disgusting pinot cab red what yeah pinot and cab is, is my go-to i really love pinot though any any pinot you know especially from oregon or the napa area i'm, I'm destroying it my man i'm white i'm white Gin. <laughs> I may have to rethink that thing, though, because my recovery is not as good as yours, and it's not a nice, chill buzz. But you know what? You're in my head. You're in my head. I think i got to learn this thing. C.J. McCollum. In fact, every time you come on, I learn something. My man, you are the best, C.J. So good to have you on. And again, I really do apologize. I didn't mean to keep you that long, but you were that good. Thanks so much. No worries, man. I appreciate you. All right, I appreciate you. Let's find out. We go to John in San Diego who allegedly is going to get Jungle Inc., and it's going to go down this weekend. John, what's going on, brother? How are you? Drew, Jumpman, Jillet, what's cracking? All right, dude, so talk to me. It, it, is this true? Are you thinking about getting Jungle Inc., and why would you do something like that? 
dude, there's nothing allegedly about it. It's happening. The problem is I don't know exactly what to get. So first, I just want to say huge fan, Romy. I've been listening since 2004. My dad got you in the show when I was painting houses for him during the summer. Um, my wife is actually a huge lady clone now. Like, I got her into the show. We're having our first kid in July, and she announced our pregnancy using sound bites from the show. So I'm not going to go all Jeff in San Antonio on you, but you mean a ton to me. And you, you and the show. I mean, the jungle is amazing. So I want to get something to commemorate you. My dad is heavily advising against it. But, nah, I say screw it, man. Like, I'm going to do this thing this Saturday. I just don't know what to get. John in San Diego. going in for tattoos. Okay, hold on. Let me, let, me, let me just reset this. I love – and part of me loves what I'm hearing, of course. But I, I'm also – I don't want you to make a mistake that you're going to regret. But, listen, I really appreciate you, John. I appreciate that your dad got you into the show. That's the beautiful thing about the jungle. I understand this. It's now become a generational thing where fathers hand it down to their sons. Now, he's against you getting ink. You start to say something about your mom. How does she feel about it? Um, I don't think, well, actually, I, I shot uh, my mom a text and said I'm going to do this. She hasn't really responded yet, but uh, my dad is super against it. But uh, at the end of the day, like, he knows how much you, you mean to me. So um, I, I think mom's not going to have an issue with it. Okay, now your wife is a lady clone. What's her name? And being a lady clone is one thing, but having her man get ink is another. Where does she come out on the tat? Yeah, so her name's Elizabeth uh, Smoke Show, by the way. But, yeah, she... Um, I recently just got by off. Like, it took a while. I've been kind of um, pressing on her for about a year now, but I just got by off a few days ago, which is why, like, I want to pull the trigger on this thing while, you know, before she has time to change her mind. Okay, so one more thought. Are you, I mean, do you have any ink? Have you done this before? Is this going to be your first tattoo, or do you have some ink already? I already have some ink. I'm, I'm not like a guy that has a full sleeve on his arm or anything, but I have three smaller tattoos. Okay. And right. so this is going to be my fourth. All right, so now and, the, and potentially fifth. Okay, so the point is, you don't know exactly what to do. I think no. we should open it up to the clones. You know, like what are your exactly, thoughts right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, th this is like a huge reason why I want to call. You know, I'm definitely shouting out to the clones here. Please tweet at me at, at J Seggy. That's J S E G G Y. I need some help. So I was thinking maybe some do. You know, maybe uh, have a take. Don't suck. Uh, maybe Sarah something Sarah Jessica Parker related. <laughs> um, you know, just, just something to do with, with, with the jungle. All right, so when is this going down? This is going down Saturday. Now, bro, you're not going to back out of this and make me look bad. We have dedicated oh, a no. lot of oh, airtime yeah, to I'll this. I'll definitely send, send proof. Uh, absolutely. All right, let me ask you this. If I, 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 I can't be there Saturday because I'm traveling, but what if, I were, what if I were to send Hawk there and he could roll tape on this and we could play it back because we are on TV right now? Might that work for you? Nothing would make me happier. My man. All right, John, so it's I'm at, so down. at J Siggy, right? S-I-G-G-Y on Twitter. S-E-G-G-Y. 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 All right, yeah. John, I'm not going to talk you out of it. I, I think, listen, I appreciate you. I'm not saying it's something you should do or have to do, but if you want to go through with this, you've got my oh, blessing. It, man. Okay, well, uh, let me open it up to the clones, and we'll see what they say. All right, thanks, Jimmy. All right, appreciate John, have a good day, man. Have a good life. Let's talk some hockey right now. We're joined right now by a left wing for the Vegas Golden Knights. He is an all-star. He had a goal in Sunday's 2-1 win over the Rangers for the season. 18 goals and 11 assists. He was the 33rd pick overall back in the 2005 draft. Vegas is having a great first season. 29-10-2. They're in first in the Pacific. And they're hosting Edmonton on Saturday night. James Neal is my guest. James, it's really good to have you on. How are you? 
Good, Jim. How are you? James, I'm great. It's so good to talk to you. Let me first get your thoughts on Sunday's win over the Rangers. The team's got a little bit of time off since that game. First of all, how good does it feel to go into a little break with a win over a good Rangers team? Yeah, it was a, it was a great win for us. Uh, Rangers are a good team, fast team, and uh, you know the way we're playing at home and the way our uh, season's going has been uh, been a lot of fun. And um, it's always nice to go into a little break on a, a winning note. Now, James, it's amazing how your season is going. Let me first ask you about you, or secondly, ask you about you and Mark Andre Fleury. You're going to head to the All Star Game this year. What's it mean to you then to go to the All Star Game and to represent the Golden Knights? Yeah, I mean, it's an honor to to be uh, to be selected to go to the All Star Game and be with the, the best players in the league, and uh, you know, now playing for Vegas to to represent them and the way our team's been uh, been going all year. So, Fowler's a good friend of mine, a guy I played with in Pittsburgh and, and know very well, and. Uh, he's more than uh, more than deserving. So we've uh, we've got a lot of guys on our team that uh, surely could have been picked, but uh, it's uh, it's going to be really nice to to represent our team. James Neal joining us now. You and the Golden Knights are an amazing story, and in order to do this justice, I need to go back a little bit. You went to the Santa Cup Finals last season with Nashville, and then you were selected by the Golden Knights in the expansion draft. Can you tell me what was your reaction when you first heard that you had gone from one of the best teams in the NHL to an expansion team? Yeah, it was. Uh, it's it's crazy. It's hard to uh, you know put into words. You, you're you're with the team and you're with your best friends and your teammates, and you do everything you can to to try and win a Stanley Cup. And uh, we came up just short, but uh, you know taking the positives out of it, the way what we did for that city and and the way our team uh, team played and and how amazing everything was, it was uh, it was pretty special. So I'm, I'm glad I got to be a part of it. And, um, you know, a week after the season, I I was told by a GM, uh, David Poyle, that uh, I wasn't going to be protected and uh, that I was going to be picked up by Vegas in expansion draft. So it's uh, it's a lot of mixed mixed emotions. Um, I've been traded before, but it was a little bit different this time. You know, it wasn't like I was being traded, but I was being kind of let go. And uh, you know, you just try to take the positives out of it, and um, you know, going to Vegas and having be, being an expansion team, uh, just trying to do uh, everything you can to make the team great. And, we knew we had a good team and we'd be competitive, but uh, I don't think we thought we'd be this good. But the way uh, our whole team's come together and the way the guys are playing is, uh, is pretty special. I couldn't be uh, happy to be a part of this uh, Vegas World Knights team. James Neal joining us. I appreciate your thoughts on that. You know, the expectations, obviously, for an expansion team is going to be pretty low, and you guys have absolutely smashed that this year. So when did you first get the sense that this team might have something special about it? Yeah, I, I mean, it was... Uh, it was definitely different for uh, our expansion team this year. I think um, with the way things were set up, and um, you know, teams can only protect so many guys. So we knew we were going to definitely be getting some uh, some good players, uh, guys that teams probably didn't want to have to let go, and uh, some tough decisions for uh, a, a lot of teams around the league. But I mean, starting with with Murray and Matt, like it, no team gets a, a goalie like that right off the start. So. Um, building from a goaltending out through our defense and then having some great forwards too. Uh, we're just a solid team. And, and then when things happen like that and you, and you do get to move on, I think everyone's kind of playing with a chip on their shoulder and everyone has something to prove. And, um, it, you know, it showed. So we became a team really quick. Our, our coaching staff is unbelievable. Our, um, our organization did a great job of picking guys and, and putting them in the right spots. And everyone is uh, enjoying it, having fun with it. And, uh, it, it showed on the ice. I was going to say, it looks great on the ice, and I would imagine it's such a strong, strong room. 
But then before the season starts, there was that horrific shooting in Las Vegas that devastated that city. What was it like for you and the team to go through something that horrific? Yeah, it was it was awful. I was there. Uh, I was at the concert on Friday. I mean, coming from Nashville, you know, um, the way the country music is there, and, and getting to know different country stars, and um, so being there Friday and how close uh, close to home we are is uh, you can't really put into words. It, it was terrifying, and uh, but I think the way uh, our team came together, what we did for the the community, just trying to help out all the families affected, all the first responders, and. Um, you know, I think you saw the, the way our opening ceremony kind of went with our, our first game, and um, you know we're playing for uh, playing for our, our city, our community, and uh, everyone affected by that. So uh, it's something for us to rally around, and uh, we did everything we could to, to, to try to bring some light to uh, a terrible situation. James Neal, my guest. I mean, that opening night was so emotional, and it was only five days after the shooting, and then you scored twice in the third period, once to tie the game, and then with the game winner. What do you remember about that game, and especially that second goal? Yeah, I mean, uh, playing in Dallas, uh, it was where I was drafted, and uh, it was where I scored my first NHL, NHL goal, and where I played my first NHL game. So uh, to do it all over again, kind of, and playing for a new team, and uh, our first goal of a, a franchise, and, and then to win our first game and against a, a tough, tough opponent. So uh, it was just, uh, it was just really special. It's something I'll, I'll never forget. And, uh, just the reaction from uh, our guys and how happy everyone was uh, uh, the way the game went uh, was really cool. So it was, uh, it was a special time. James, you know, joining me for a few more moments. You know, I also want to point out that not only are you having a big, big year and you're an all-star, it's even more impressive when you consider that you had surgery on your hand in the offseason and you weren't even sure if you'd be ready to start this season. What was the rehab process like for you? And then how were you able to come back so quickly and play at such a high level? Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it was a tough summer, just how short it was from going uh, going into the you know, Stanley Cup Finals. and I broke my hand in game one against the against the Ducks, uh, and then ended up playing another round and a half. So uh, I didn't get surgery till end of July, and uh, and then was trying to get ready for camp in, in September. So I, I ended up missing camp, but uh, Vegas was great with me. All the doctors were, were awesome and helped me rehab and, uh, and, and get better. And, and you know, I had to get a plate and eight screws in my hand to, to fix the bone, and um, it took some time, but uh, when I was able to come back, uh, everything was good. So it's... Uh, uh, I'm glad I got to start the season where I did. I mean, James, you guys are a different breed. Hockey players are just a different breed. Was there even a thought or an issue that maybe you would not continue in the postseason despite that broken hand and screws in your hand? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was tough. As soon as, I, as soon as I got splashed, I knew something was wrong. and uh, It was the first game um, in the semifinals there. and uh, You know, I came off and tried, got an x-ray quick and... Uh, I knew something was up, and but uh, I mean, you do everything you can to get to that moment and that, that place in your career, and, uh, so you don't really let anything uh, get in the way. So, a few needles and freeze it up, and um, and then you get back out there and, and, and play. So, uh, I think that's just the way hockey players are. Like you said, they're a little bit of a different breed, and uh, they do anything for their teammates and, and do anything to try to win, and uh, for us to try to win the Stanley Cup, and uh, for me, a chance to be able to play in the Stanley Cup Finals is a dream come true, so I uh, wasn't trying to let anything get in the way. James Neal joining us. You know, I'm a California native, and I grew up 
as a hockey fan. In fact, we not only had season tickets to the LA Kings, we used to go to the old WHA games with the LA Sharks. So I've seen this. I've seen the Ducks coming to town. I've seen the LA Kings before and after Wayne Gretzky. I've seen San Jose when they had an expansion franchise. I've seen all of this, but Vegas is different. Like one of the goals with the NHL in Vegas is not just to have a good hockey team, but to have a good hockey culture. So as a player, what has the fan support been like? And do you feel like that culture is starting to develop? Yeah, it's uh, it, it's been unbelievable. Um, I think any guy that's played in our rink, and I mean, obviously, our, our players would uh, say the same thing. But I think it's it's definitely the best atmosphere in the in the whole league right now. Um, the way the rink is, how uh, intimate the atmosphere is, and fans are on top of you, fans are loving the game. And, um, I think just you know around the community, and uh, when you talk to people and see people, everybody's uh, just really excited to have a sports team, and uh, you know the first. Uh, First professional sports team in Vegas, and uh, I think all the hard work everyone did with their uh, with their owner and Bill Foley, and then they right down to our, uh, our, our management. So, to be able to put this team on the ice has uh, has been pretty amazing, and um, everyone's very appreciative of it. And uh, it's been amazing to play in front of uh, front of our fans. So, uh, no one would have thought it would have been like this, but uh, every single night our building's electric, and it's like a playoff atmosphere. So, it's been uh, it's been pretty sweet. Yeah, on top of that, they're showing up in Summerlin to watch practice. Let me finally ask you this then. Are the fans, I mean, are they locals who live there? Are they people that come to town who just want to, quote, see another show? And then how knowledgeable are they about the sport? Yeah, no, it's it's a combination of everything, but there's definitely a ton, a ton of locals. And uh, like you said, in Summerlin, uh, a lot of us live two minutes from the practice rink right around there. So, um but having them come out to practice every day at buildings or uh, our practice drinks packed every, every single day for practice. So I think that uh, that tells you something. But uh, they're knowledgeable about the game. They cheer at the right times, and uh, they're definitely uh, helping us out on the ice. Because, like I said, the atmosphere has just been uh, been amazing, and it's, you know no one could have thought it would have been this good. Uh, in the, in the franchise history. Oh, for sure. And then finally, what's it like to be in Las Vegas away from the ice? Has that part been pretty much what you expected it to be? Yeah, it's it's been great. Um, I, I live uh, I live in Summerlin, and I live five minutes away from the practice rink. So, um, you know, I, I think for everyone that comes to Vegas, obviously they're down on the strip, and, and that's what they, they kind of see and think Vegas is. But it's got uh, uh, a lot more to offer, and it's been uh, really cool to uh Call it home, and um, there's lots to do outside uh, outside the strip. So it's uh, it's been a lot of fun, and it's been nice uh, turning the Las Vegas into a hockey town. I was going to say, never mind the strip. If you had a chance to get the golf clubs out, there's some pretty nice tracks out there. Exactly, there's some beautiful golf courses. I love the golf, but uh, with the way my hand my hand right. I haven't uh, haven't been able to swing them in probably a year now because summer was so crazy, but uh, I'm sure after the season, I'll be able to get in place, so it's been, uh, it's been great. Vegas is having a great first half. They're in first place in the Pacific Division. They're at home Saturday night against Edmonton. James Neal closing the show for us today. James, great to have you on the show. Appreciate the conversation very much. Thank you for doing that. Thanks a lot, Jim. Nice talking to you. Nice to talk to you, James. Great job. Really well done. They're a great, great story. Love it. Anybody in Vegas checking out the Golden Knights? They are so far ahead of schedule. There you go, clones. Four down, one to go, but you know this already. The grind includes Friday, TGIF. So I will see you then. I'm out. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it. Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. 
Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive. Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love. 